Awesome. Um, if you have your Bible with you, uh, I will be speaking from... Yeah, that's perfect. We're speaking from Luke chapter 18. So if you want to turn there, and we're going to be looking from verse 18 to 30. 18 to 30. All right, here we go. Ready? If you got it, say got it. Got it. Especially if you do have your phone apps, it should make life a lot easier. Um, And it says this, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Great story. Great account. And we're going to be talking about that in just a moment. Hold that in your mind as, um, as we go through certain things. We are in the second last week of our series, Imago Day. Um, I have enjoyed this series. It has been good fun. We've talked everything from sex to gender to love to worship to today. Is that right? Did I miss one week? I might have. But anyway... We've, we've done a lot of talking, and we've been talking about Imago Dei. And Imago Dei basically is the image of God. It's Latin for image of God. And why um, we use this Latin word is because in um, the early church, they developed this doctrine of the Imago Dei. Doctrine just meaning the understanding, the teaching around Imago Dei. And why it's so important is because the Imago Dei gives us an indication of our identity, It gives us an indication of how God has designed us and ultimately what our purpose is on this earth, right? So if you go anywhere else other than the image of God in which you have been created, how sure are you that you are living out your best life? How else will you know that your purpose is something that is worthwhile? It's not just something that is temporary, short-term. You are actually living out something massive. Unless you know your design, you are likely to live outside of that design. And there's a word for living outside of your design. It is called abuse. I came across this definition of abuse a little while ago, and it really shocked me. It just, you know, we think about abuse as being something really violent, Right? You know, we, we think of it being something really um, just, just harsh and fierce with that heat to it. But abuse is simply something being used for another intention than what it was originally for. And so you can abuse a person by actually being really soft but also manipulative. By trying to force them to do things that they're not meant to, you can do it in a soft way and that's still abuse. And, and in a more a simple way, if I use this as uh, this whiteboard, um, dust, is it duster? Eraser. Eraser as um, the method for putting on makeup, I'm abusing this poor eraser because it has to touch my face. And I'm also abusing myself because I am not something to be erased. That was a terrible example, <laughs> isn't it? You get it, don't you? And so we need to understand our purpose. Vic and I were part of a wedding yesterday. Not ours. We've been married for a while. Um, and so I'm still recovering a little bit. So anyway, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, and so we want to continue talking about our design because the more we know our design, the more we can live out that design. We can live according um, to a purpose that truly enriches and unlocks our life. Who wants that? Yeah. Okay, the front row does. Everyone else, you may leave the building. The door's over there. 
You have no, there's no point being here. Go live your abusive lives. Um, I'm recovering. But this morning, I do want to talk about something that um, has, is honestly, when you kind of step back, it looks really simple, but I believe that this is extremely profound. Um, I want to talk to us about this whole idea of body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. Um, so the body, soul, and spirit, this concept is not foreign. When you go to a news agent and you look at the magazines, there is literally a magazine called Body and Soul. All of you guys are also holy. You're like, what? There's a magazine called Body and Soul? Yes, there's a magazine called Body and Soul. And it's all about looking after your body and soul, right? And uh, so we all kind of have this sense that there is a body and soul to our being, right? You know, there's this part that is flesh. You can touch it. It is literal matter. And so you can actually grab a hold of it. And then there is a more intangible part of us that we can't see. It is our thoughts, our emotions, our intellect, our will. We can't see those things in the physical realm, but we know that it is also a part of us, right? And more and more research is showing that with your mind, which is this unseen part of us, you can actually influence the way that your brain grows and develops and changes. Your mind can change your brain. So there's this sense that your soul and your body, there are two parts to us. And then there's also this other sense that there is a spirit. And what is a spirit? This one is a little bit more difficult to define. But if you, even in culture, we understand that there is a spiritual dimension to us. Uh, there are all these new agey kind of therapies and practices that is meant to help you uh, have a healthy spirit and that healthy spirit seems to be attached to this sense that we are part of something so much bigger than ourselves and that is what this spiritual sense in the secular world seems to be talking about but in christianity there is this very popular um, uh, understanding that as human beings we are a trichotomy which is that word that has appeared on the screen a body soul and spirit trichotomy simply means Try three and cotomy, which means categories. Three different categories, three different divisions, three different parts, right? And so we have heard of this idea of the trichotomy. Has anyone ever heard any teaching on body, soul, and spirit before? Yeah, pretty common, isn't it? And um, so what happens is that we see ourselves as having these three divisions to ourselves and... Um, let me draw it this way. Let's say I'm going to use this black marker and this is my body. That's an amazing body. And we, hey. Just because I've never been to art school, let's just say that's us. as a container. And obviously we see that there's body, and we kind of think that there's soul. Let's say the green is soul, spirit. So spirit, soul, and body, something like that, right? Does that kind of come to mind when you think about body, soul, and spirit? If you want a less graphic example, body, soul, and spirit, right? A little bit like the Olympic rings except you only get half of them. And um, so we get this trichotomy, right? This sense that there's this division between body, soul, and spirit. And why we believe or why there is this teaching on the trichotomy is because the Bible does seem to give an indication of this. For example, uh, when we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, it says this, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body, so all three different parts, be whole, kept blameless, blame, blameless, blameless 
at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And then again, in Mark 12.30, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and all your strength. Now, we don't know where spirit disappeared to in that particular verse. Maybe it's still there. We don't really know. Uh, um, but Jesus was saying, basically, that there seems to be these divisions inside of us. And then again, in Hebrews 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so some scholars have said that if the Word of God is able to divide soul and spirit, it would then stand to reason that there is a difference between soul and spirit, right? So there is this trichotomy, whether you are, you know what, let's get rid of that weird body. It's distracting you, I can tell. Alright, so we have this sense that there is body, soul, and spirit. And I think to some extent, we understand that there's an interaction between these. Yep. If you don't sleep well, like I didn't really get my full sleep over the last couple of days in all the wedding stuff, so my mind is not as sharp as it possibly might be. And so I'm using stupid illustrations using an eraser rather than coming up with something really witty that you will all understand better with. Um, and so we understand that there is this interaction that is taking place. But the more that I have gone through my life and the more that I have, uh, because this, this is an understanding, this trichotomy was an understanding that I've held on to since I was really young. It's something that just seems to be a given that that is how we operate as human beings. And the more that I've lived with and uh, under that kind of a perception of myself, the more I realize that perhaps it is not the healthiest way to view myself. So for example, when I look at Romans 12 verse 1, which says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, uh, holy and pleasing to God, that is your true and proper worship. Romans 12 verse 1, very famous. So when I was a younger person, and uh, I was a part of a church plan, that was kind of the things that uh, my family used to, like we just a uh, serial church planting team people until I went, you know what, I'm going to make my own church plant and never have to do that again. <laughs> we're still in that phase. It kind of feels that way. But, you know, when, when we were young, we were part of church plants. And uh, part of church plants means that, as you might kind of know when you're looking around this room, this is a basketball court, right? These things don't just, we don't press a button and they just shoot out of the ground. Someone had to come here move all this stuff into place so that other people can come in and enjoy the experience. And so when I was younger and I thought of myself as body, soul, and spirit, and I read Romans 12 verse 1, and I said that, and it says that Paul was telling me that I need to offer my body as a living sacrifice, I took that literally. And so what I would do is that I would see my worship as physically getting church ready. And to a huge extent, it's true. But what I would do is that I had this understanding that if I flog my body and if I sweat and get cut and bleed and, um, and hurt myself physically, that's worship. You get what I mean? So I went, I progressed from just lifting stuff and moving it into place to going, you know what, I'm doing this for God. Living sacrifice. So instead of lifting with my legs, I would lift with my back. Is that worship? It was to me. Because Romans 12 verse 1 tells me that my body is meant to be a living sacrifice. So that means that somehow my body is not as important to God than perhaps other things. And so I would sacrifice my body in order to worship God. Another little example I can give to you is that I was speaking to a mentor who has been a pastor for decades. Um, he is very instrumental in, in us being here today. And I remember as we were kind of preparing to uh, launch, or we might have already launched, but it was in the early days of Lyft, and, and uh, we were just having a, a catch-up. And, and he, he shared with me the story that, that at one stage he was part of a small church himself, um, he's a Pentecostal pastor, well, a Pentecostal church, so we, we kind of have this circle of understanding. Uh, Pentecostal churches tend to be more expressive, in case you did not know. And um, 
we are, we are excited about life and we do things that are exciting and um, we prost and um, we do lots of stuff um, but but how, how he ran his church it was a regional church it was in the country um, and and so his church wasn't very large um, and so he was the worship leader and then he would be the preacher and then I'm not sure if it was Sunday night or Monday night at some point they also had a prayer meeting every single week and so he would get up on a Sunday morning he would lead worship sing his heart out which Mitch did brilliantly with the team this morning uh, and and then from there go into a fire and brimstone message this was in the 19 80s 1990s possibly and and so Pentecostal preachers were taught that the more you shout the more uh, effective you are um, and with the look on some of your faces because you are dozing off I need to shout in order to wake you up and that's how it works and so we would do things that like it is Pentecostal we understand as well and so he was like yep you know I will sing lead worship I would shout my heart out and then I would lead prayer meeting and because it wasn't a large church uh, they didn't use a mic it was like that's no point so and, and so the whole prayer meeting was basically about him shouting uh, because that's how you get the Holy Spirit to uh, listen to you you shout and um, you're laughing but some of you believe this and um, and he told me this, he said, Nate, I, I used to believe that if I still had a voice after a weekend, I wasn't trying hard enough. And so he told a story. It's a younger man, I think he was in his 20s, maybe early 30s at most. He said that he had done that, led worship, preached, gone to a prayer meeting, shouted for the Holy Spirit to move, and um, suddenly he tasted blood in his mouth and he couldn't speak it was this air coming out and he was like oh something's gone wrong he went to doctors the next day doctors looked down his throat he still couldn't say a single word and they found nodes on nodes now for those who don't know how your vocal cords work um, when you abuse your throat um, the vocal cords that are meant to vibrate in order to produce sound they start to fuse together and that fusing looks like nodes it looks like little growths what he had done is that he'd not just abused his voice to the point of having those nodes he had nodes on the nodes the the blood that tasted it was literally because he had damaged his vocal cord did i need to give a warning about this guys warning this gets graphic sorry that chuck buckets at the back and um, yeah so that was what was going on the doctors told him that he would never preach again by God's grace he's been preaching for decades after that doing amazing work but he has to look after his throat with extra 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 care now so he doesn't shout when he preaches anymore if, if I told you who this guy was you would know who he is he doesn't shout anymore not because he doesn't want to or he's not excited to but if he does that he could literally never preach again is that worship to God why did that pastor think that losing his voice was a spiritual act of worship why do we think that in some parts of our lives we can flog in order to be Christians why do we sometimes seem to think that in, in, in our lives, if let's say that's your, the black represents body and the green represents soul and, oh, I just realized soul and spirit both start with S. Spirit. Why do we sometimes in our mindset when it comes to Christianity believe that the God part of us only exist in one-third of our beings why is it that we think that the body and the soul doesn't matter to God why is it that we have created this distinction inside of our beings where if I go to church and I do all the churchy things and I sound like a Christian that is good enough for God and then these other spheres can kind of that's just there. 
I put forward that that's because we've seen ourselves as a division of three different categories and three different parts, where we are body, soul, and spirit, and somehow we hold them at arm's length from each other. And the more I've gone through my life thinking about it in this way, the more I have uh, reached this conclusion that, 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 that yes, the spirit is so important, but the body and soul um, are different. And I treated them differently. And this is what I've noticed that when we do it in this way, when we live our lives in this way, we end up with two different kinds of abusers. The two kinds of abusers are two different ends of the spectrum and you can exist on this spectrum in any way, shape or form uh, as, as somewhere in there. And that's the abuse of undervalue and is the abuse of overvalue. So in my situation and in my uh, pastor mentor's situation, we undervalue our body. We think that our body is just meant to be flogged in order to please the spirit. And in another way, I thought that my soul was not important to God. I thought that my mind, my emotions, uh, uh, my, uh, my will just simply needed to serve the Spirit. And any time that uh, my will or my emotions seemed to be out of alignment with the Word of God, I thought that that was me being carnal, being fleshly, being unspiritual. And I would suppress, push it away, tell myself that that's not good enough because I needed to be a spiritual person that needed to please God. And that was the kind of perspective that I held in my life because I thought that there were three separate distinct parts of me. And that was the, the, the result was this undervaluing, but the undervaluing that took place somehow affected me in ways that I didn't know because is that really how we are meant to be? And then on the other side of the spectrum, what I've noticed, and partly in myself as well, is that instead of undervaluing certain parts of me, I overvalue it. And we see that in the world where people put on appearances, how they look on the outside, because that's what is important. We listen to our soul, we care for our soul to the point where our soul dictates every other part of ourselves. When I'm feeling depressed, I get to sleep at home and never see the light of day because my soul is king. When I'm feeling frustrated with people, I will just cut them off in my life because my soul is king. When I'm anxious about my future, I will medicate myself in order to not feel that way because my soul is king. You see, that kind of thinking, this kind of categorizing of ourselves has brought us a lot of trouble. Where we create this dualism of spiritual and unspiritual, where if spiritual is good, then unspiritual is bad perhaps. Or we create this sense of spiritual means that that's in connection with God, but these other parts are not spiritual, so God doesn't care about. God doesn't deal with. And so we create this segregation of our Sunday selves, and then there's the rest of the week selves, where we get to do whatever we want to do from Monday to Saturday, and then we come to church, and say, oh yeah, I remember, now I'm a Christian, I'm switching into my spirit. I'm switching. I'm now a spiritual being, thanks be to God. Why do we do that? You see, the truth is, I don't know if we are meant to be body, soul, and spirit in that way, or rather we should be, here comes the, the ghostly person again. He's got a long neck. My body, soul. You guys are laughing, but you know this is true. And spirit. Are there three distinct parts of us, or are we one with elements of all? See, the problem is that when we exist in a trichotomy kind of a viewpoint, 
We try to deal with soul issues using soul, uh, soul solutions. We try to deal with body, uh, body issues with body solutions, and then we think that spiritual issues only have spiritual solutions. But the more I've lived my life, the more I realize that I've got human issues and I need God's solutions. That I am all one, that my body, soul, and spirit all matter. When it comes to my vocal cords, I have gone through personal training, heavy lifting of the voice, so that I will be able to preach for the next 30, 40 years, because I know that God has called me to do something significant with my life, and if I lose this voice, I'm going to be severely handicapped in what I can do for God. And, and, and so I've started to do stuff to ensure there was a season, and that was what I was actually talking to my mentor about, because I was starting to feel that there was a bit of a strain in my voice after every weekend because I'm a Pentecostal preacher, and I like to be excited. I like to make sure that you're engaged in this message with me, but I also realized that I wasn't doing the right techniques in order to make sure that tomorrow my voice is not gone. And so last night we were at this amazing wedding, and they also had loud music and a lot of people talking. And so I had to make sure that I wasn't shouting the whole night last night so that this morning I'll be like, Hi, church. I'm your pastor and I'm really trying to preach, but you're going to have to listen in very carefully. And I didn't want to do that. I want to be able to be Nate in every situation and every place that I'm in. Body, soul, and spirit. So what happens to verses like 1 Thessalonians 5.23, which we read about, which says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. What is that all about? Well, I think Paul was just simply saying, I want every part of you. He was saying that he, he was really wanting every single part. You see, when I come to Beck and I say, Beck, I love you with my body, soul, and spirit. Am I trying to tick off certain things. What if I forget to say body? I love you with my soul, my spirit, but my body is somewhere else. What if you forget? Is that a checklist? Or is it you are just simply trying to be poetic and express the fullness of yourself? I think that's what God was talking about when He's telling you that all of you, all of you should be blameless at the end. All of you are important to God. It's not just your soul that is important to God. It's not just your spirit that is important to God. Your body is important to God as well. We need to realize that we bring all of us into every situation that we are in. We don't come to church and just bring our spirit and then the rest of our week we bring our body and our soul into our life. You don't get to switch. You are always all three. And so when we place the correct value on every part of ourselves, that's when we get healthy. And this is something that God has been talking to me about recently. Yeah, because there's been this word health that has been a bit of a, 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 an anchor point for me over the last couple of years. And I, I've been thinking, I really want health. I really want health. I really want health. Uh, because I used to think I want success all the time. I want a success. I want a success. And I realized that success is something that I can't control. That's another message for another time. Probably spoken about it. And I want health. But over the last few weeks, I've been thinking about what is health? And I started to ask people, what is health? What do you think health is? And I, I started to realize that many of us don't know what health is. In fact, most of us only think about health when we don't have it. When I'm sick, oh yeah, I'm not healthy. Do you realize you were healthy when you were healthy? And I realized that a definition for health is that it's a condition where you can live out your maximum potential. Health is the ability to reach your full potential. And so when I see myself as a preacher for the next 30, 40 years, health for me is not being able to preach today. Health for me is having vocal strength to preach in 10 years. Health for me is being able to preach in 20 years. I love that I've been seeing pastors across the world starting to realize that their bodies are important. And there was this particular pastor that he always hashtag his Instagram because he was a fitness nut for a little while. And he said, fitter at 40. He wanted to be fitter at 40 because the science shows that by 40, your body is starting to slow down. And so he wanted to ensure that he counteract what was physically the norm. And he wanted to get to fitter at 40. Why? Is he being carnal? 
oh my gosh, why is this pastor posting up fitness videos? Oh my gosh, he's not praying enough. He would spend an hour in the gym, but he didn't pray. Oh my gosh, what is wrong with us? He wants me fitter at 40 so that he can continue the ministry till he's 80. Isn't that important for us to realize that there are certain things that we need to do in our body to find health? And what about our soul? Why are we not dealing with our soul wounds? You know, why do we think that we can come forward and get prayed for and suddenly our soul wounds disappear? No, 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 our soul wounds need to be treated like they are soul wounds. They needed to go through a process of healing and restoration that, that, that we know that we need to. You know, I see a counselor, I'm seeing my psychologist tomorrow, literally tomorrow, I got a text message saying, please confirm because she's a busy lady. And I was like, I'm confirming this because my soul needs to be cared for. I don't just read my Bible. I see specialists that can tell me, Nate, you're out of line here. You're carrying way too many burdens in your soul. You need to find soul health. We need to understand that we are not a trichotomy. We are a whole. So if you want to research this a little bit more, you can search this out. It's called Holist. W-H-O-L-I-S-T. A Holist view. I don't know if we'll have time to explore all of this for you, but I just want to get you thinking about your design. Has God designed you to have three separate aspects of your life, or has God designed you as a whole, where every part of you is working in concert with one another? And so coming back to the passage that we read this morning about the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus the ultimate teacher of that day. He's seen the miracles. He's seen the authority. He's seen, the, he's seen all that Jesus has done. And he's like, teacher, good teacher. I see something special about you. And I know that you have the route to eternal life. And he comes to Jesus. And Jesus actually says something really strange. He says, have you obeyed all these laws? And the guy actually says, yes. Since the days of his youth, he has kept every single one of those laws. And then Jesus says, well, you lack one thing, sell all you have. Sell all you have. And then come follow me. And this man walks away. I started to think about this passage in terms of the trichotomy. See, what I think was going on was that as much as this guy was performing, he was performing what he thought was spiritual. And so he dealt with this thing, this part of himself, very well. But at the same time, he had a body side of him that was enjoying that wealth, that wasn't touched by the Spirit. So he could have that for himself. He enjoyed that lifestyle, and he could have whatever soul pleasures that he wanted, and it was untouched by God. And so what Jesus was telling him was that, no, 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 no. You can't come to God with just one part of yourself and leave the other parts untouched. Does Jesus hate you being wealthy? No, but he knows what happens when we get wealthy. See, one of the things about what happens when we get wealthy is that we start to serve our wealth. It's a very easy condition. We spoke about that last week. Whatever you behold, you become. There's a principle of beholding in our lives. No, we didn't have the... We didn't have a podcast last week. I'm going to tell you, listen to it. But if you want to talk about it, come talk to me after. Whatever we behold, we become. When we behold a wealth, we become servants to that wealth. And that seems to be the case for so many people because their soul and their bodies are not in alignment with the Spirit because they're held separately from the Spirit. So Jesus said to this young man, he said, no, 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 don't just come to God with your spirit. Come to the Lord with your body, soul, and spirit completely in alignment so that you will be able to experience eternal life. See, what we end up doing when we have our spirits held away from God is that we allow this God to touch one part of us, but we live out our lives really from our body and our soul. But what God is saying is that all of us needs to come in alignment. What I've realized in my life is that quite often when I have troubles hearing from God, it's not a spirit issue. It's a soul issue most of the time. 
I've got my focus on the wrong things. And I'm wanting to hear from God, but I am not hearing from God because that anxiety and that worry is embedded into my soul and that I have used as the filter for everything. And when I have released that to God in my spirit and I say my body and my soul is going to come in alignment, something begins to happen. I, I learned this a little while ago as well. Why do we worship with our hands and our bodies? Why does the Bible say again and again and again and again, raise up holy hands, make a joyful noise, dance. You don't want to see me dance. And before the Lord, because it's saying that your body has an impact as well in your worship. It's saying that, and science has shown this, that what you do in your physical body has an effect on your soul. And what you do in your soul, I'm telling you, has an effect on your spirit. So how are you bringing all of you into all that you're doing? Some of you have never properly, fully worshipped God because your countenance, your body has been held in bondage the whole time. Am I teaching you how to worship, that there's a right way to worship? No, but I'm telling you that there is a free way to worship. That there is a whole you kind of worship. If you've never raised your hands in worship before, try it. I have learned this before where, where, where I'm not feeling that I really want to worship God because there's stuff going on inside of my life and, and God hasn't brought my breakthrough yet and so I don't really, really want to worship God. I will let Him, I will let my spirit worship because my spirit always wants to worship God. But my body and my soul, I'm going to hold back. And so I stand in God's presence like that. Until you bring my breakthrough, God, I'm not going to worship you. And I was challenged about that. No matter how I feel, I'm going to raise holy hands. That's why in the Psalms, David says, Oh, my soul, praise the Lord. Why was he telling his soul? Because his soul didn't want to worship God. Why didn't David just say, Oh, my spirit, praise the Lord for all the days? Because that's easy. Your spirit is always reaching out for God. But sometimes our soul and our bodies are holding us back. You want to hear physical evidence of this? I read this a little while ago um, about TED Talks. And um, this guy was talking about power posing. I love this. This is so funny. This is actually really funny. If you watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and there's a scene about power posing, and they're all like, that is not a power pose. Do you know what a power pose is? It's literally this. A power pose, scientifically speaking, with, with, is actually opening your body up to be vulnerable. And at first it feels weird. It feels uncomfortable. But when you hold that pose of I will be open, your brain switches into a different place. Your soul stops worrying about what people think and you feel empowered. How crazy is it that God tells us to worship with upraised hands? That when we come into God's presence, we can choose to be closed off physically and therefore not experience the fullness of God. Or we can come to God and say, here I am. It feels vulnerable. I'm an introvert, I don't worship that way. Let me tell you what, I'm an introvert. But I've learned that if I want body, soul, and spirit life, I'm coming in alignment. There's some of you that are here this morning and you've been willing to bring some parts of you to God. And you're not willing to bring others. Why? Do you feel like God doesn't care for your body and your soul? Do you feel like God can't be trusted with certain parts of you? Have you made divisions? That's my spiritual part. And so God can touch that. But this is my business. I've worked bloody hard for this thing. And so I will hold on to it. Are there certain relationships that have been damaging to your soul, but you're holding on to because... It's yours. And God has been trying to tell you that, no, 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 you're abusing yourself. But you're not wanting to change because that's yours, not God's. It is yours. 
but the abuse is also yours. The dysfunction is yours. We sang a song about wanting to worship God from the inside out. What does that mean? I think it means that we start from the spirit and allowing it to reach every single part of us into the way that we behave. And that's why I've kind of tried to draw the spirit on the innermost line on that figure. Because we live from the inside out as Christians. I find it really interesting that in Luke chapter 18, before this ruler comes to Jesus, we read this passage in verse 15, Luke 18 verse 15. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hand on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Right after that, this rich young ruler comes in. Right after that, this rich young ruler refuses to give up his possessions in order to follow Jesus. What is going on? We're seeing a juxtaposition. We're seeing a tension, a comparison between two different responses to Jesus. One was, one was that of a little child. Have you seen, have you seen when, when a little child likes you? Likes you? They run up to you. They don't care that they're there. It's such a level. level. They don't. They don't. They run. They run. And then you catch them before they hurt you. That is how kids roll. Body, soul, spirit, one. They haven't made a distinction between God can touch that part of me but not this part of me. They come wholly into every situation that they are in. And on the other side of the spectrum, we have this young person that's saying, God can only have a part of me. And Jesus says, if you do not receive the kingdom like a little child, have you become too mature for your own good? Where suddenly your soul issues become your soul issues. Where your body issues become your body issues. Yeah, yeah, God can take spirit because I don't really know what that's about. Honestly, that was me. You know what's going on? The issue is trust. The issue really is trust. Because that rich young ruler couldn't control eternal life, he went to the one that could. But he had control of this life. He didn't trust that God would look after him. We look at that passage and we go, oh my gosh, this guy blew it. He could have been one of the 12 disciples. How awesome would have... You do the same, man. I do the same. God, you're allowed to touch that, but you're not allowed to touch this. I would do anything for God, but I won't do that. <laughs> How many of us have sung that song? We, on a Sunday morning, it's like, I worship you from the inside out. My heart cries out. All I want to do is to worship you. Then tomorrow, God's saying, do that. Mm. 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 that was yesterday you missed your chance God why do we do that? it's because we don't trust that God has plans and designs for every part of us we think that God touches our spirit but not our body and our soul what did Jesus say at the end when Peter said to him we have left everything he said I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, what's that saying? Is Jesus saying that you're supposed to leave all your relationships? No, no, no. I believe that what's going on in there is that when, when, when Jesus speaks about family, he's actually talking about production. Because families back then were the units of production. He was leaving the security of a family that will look after you, where your wife and your kids become your future. He's saying, you leave the security of that production unit and follow me. You will not fail to receive many things in this age and in the following age, eternal life. Church, today I just want to bring you a bit of a challenge. Do you trust that God looks after you in this age and in the age to come?
Do you believe that when you forsake the places of security that you have built for yourself and you come to God, that God will be able to look after you today, tomorrow, and forever? Do you trust that God has your best interest at heart, that He has plans and purposes for your life, that you have a hope and a future, that He has got a purpose that He has designed you with, or are you denying Him access into parts of your life because you do not trust Him? This morning, that really is the whole message. Are you coming to God holy or are you coming to God with only a part of yourself? If we can get the band up, Why don't you trust God? I'm not saying this to intimidate or condemn any person. It is a question I ask myself all the time. It's an evaluation question that I ask myself all the time. Why don't I trust God? Where don't I trust God? Is my soul in my own hands? Is my body in my own hands? Are my desires, my emotions, are they in my own hands or have I gone, you know what? I trust that God has a purpose. I might not see it and it might hurt. For that young ruler, it would have hurt to give up what he was so used to, what he had control over. But what he was going to gain was so much better. There are choices in front of each and every single one of us, myself included, to trust God and to step out of my personal security and into a security of a God who loves me, who has adopted me, who has brought me into His home, who has made me a co-heir with Christ, who has said and promised that He will be my provider, who has said and promised to me that eternal life is mine, who has said and promised to me that I will be with Him in eternity, and has said and promised to me that He has prepared room for me in His house. Am I trusting myself and my own actions and my own decisions? Am I trusting that I am able to make all of this happen for myself? Or am I trusting that God who is eternal, who has known me before I was born, who knit me together in my mother's womb, would know how my eternity would play out? Am I trusting me or am I trusting Him? This morning, I just want you to reflect for a moment. Why don't you trust Him? Why is it so hard to trust Him? For many people that I have sat with over the last year, many people said, because I haven't earned it. I don't know if God can truly bless me and keep me because I don't know if I've hit the mark. I don't know if I've made the grade. Well, here's the truth. That while you were still a sinner, while you are still a sinner, God has died for you. Before you were able to repay Him, before you were able to do anything for Him, God has already paid the price for your eternity, for your body, soul, and spirit. That God has already prepared a space for you, and all you have to do is to receive it. I love that the Bible says, you began in grace, but when did you make it about works? You began knowing that Jesus was the only way, the only way to salvation. But then somewhere along your life, you switched into a place of being in control of your salvation. What is that all about? If you began in grace and if God wanted to give it to you back then when you didn't know any better, why is He taking it away from you? He isn't. That is the simple truth. And we've got to work out why in our soul we struggle so much to receive the gift of grace. When God is not just concerned with your spirit, but He's concerned with your soul and He's concerned with your body. And when we come in full alignment with Him, He begins to give us strategies to find health in our spirit, our soul, and our bodies. Stop abusing yourself. Stop torturing yourself and start saying, Jesus, I want to listen to your voice. Holy Spirit, I am open. I want to receive your word this morning. I want to worship you with all that I am and not just 
the little parts of me that I used to give to you. God, I want to be open and transparent about every single part of me, both my struggles and my successes. God, I'm open for you to speak. This morning, if that is you, if you realize that you've been holding back, if you realize that you haven't even invited Jesus into your heart, or maybe you have, but for a long time you've walked away from that, if that is you this morning, I want to lead you into a prayer. And this prayer is to invite Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, no one is looking around. This is your private moment. You examine yourself. Have you allowed Jesus to come in? And if you want to say this prayer in the whole church, Why don't you say this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. I know that I have sinned. I know I've fallen short. But I know that while I was still a sinner, you died on the cross for my sin. And you adopted me into your family. So God, I invite you into my life. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.